This is The Guardian. Hey, just a warning before we get started. Today's episode features some discussion of graphic scenes that may be distressing to hear, so please take care while listening. I'm Jane Lee, and this is The Full Story. For the first time in over 30 years, foot and mouth disease is spreading through cattle in Indonesia. As thousands of Australian tourists travel to Bali this winter, experts are warning of a small but significant risk that it could be passed to Australian livestock. Today, the potential cost of foot and mouth disease. It's Thursday, the 14th of July. Um, I will just get you to click on this link, which I think will probably have an image. Oh, yep. Yeah, wow. What are we looking at here? Can you describe some of these symptoms for me? Yeah, uh, we're looking at um, blisters. Gabrielle Chan is the rural and regional editor of Guardian Australia. On the snouts and mouths and uh, feet of livestock, uh, primarily pigs and sheep and cattle mm. and if you think about it it's uh it's sort of a bit like blisters that you get if you ever get a cold sore mm. so it means they're really painful and really raw and yeah, red yes what I'm seeing yeah and quite deep yeah as well yeah and animals you know livestock survive by staying on their feet and ensuring that they can eat. Like it's the Mm. two jobs that livestock have, like humans in a way, staying upright so you're not preyed upon Mm. and feeding yourself so that you can live. And so it's insidious because it attacks those two survival mechanisms. So, Gabby, these animals were all infected with foot and mouth disease. What is this disease? Foot and mouth disease is a very contagious viral disease that hits cloven hoofed animals. So we're talking, you know, pigs, cattle, sheep, goats, deer, domestic and wild. It's not the same as the hand, foot and mouth disease that your young children might get. Um, The thing about livestock diseases in Australia is we often forget that while we have a population of 25 million people in this country, the sheep and cattle population alone is 90 million. And that's not counting pigs and goats, a lot of which are feral as well as farmed. So Australian livestock pretty much covers half of the country. It's a big vector for disease spread potentially if diseases like this get out. So it's not to be underestimated. Talk me through how this disease is spread and can it be spread to humans? It doesn't usually infect humans. So um, the Department of Ag says human infections are very rare and they don't result in serious disease. But the way it's spread, humans can spread it on their on their clothes and their footwear and in food products. Um, But animals spread it, you know, through their 
breath, the saliva, their mucus, their milk, their feces. Um, so it is highly contagious between animals. Uh, and it can even live in animal products, not just food products, but things like souvenirs that are made of animal hides um, in soil. It can contaminate vehicles and equipment that are used with animals. It can survive frozen, chilled, freeze-dried foods. So it's very clever at reproducing itself. Right. Gabby, you wanted me to speak to someone who's seen foot and mouth disease firsthand, right? Absolutely. And that's why I suggested Andrew Whitelaw. Andrew, can I get you to just say your name and just a little bit of explain your title and a bit about yourself for the tape, please? Um, Andrew Whitelaw. I'm a market analyst um, covering agriculture. And uh, I was brought up in Scotland and uh, moved to Australia 12 years ago. I'm also a pig farmer. Uh, so we've got about four and a half thousand pigs in Victoria. So, Andrew, you live in Victoria now, but you grew up in a town called Dumfries. Tell me a little bit about the town. Beautiful town, southwest of Scotland, an untouched town. Doesn't really have the same tourist vibes as, say, the Highlands, but mm. beautiful nonetheless. And so, typical Scottish sort of environment. A lot, lot of farming as well. Yeah, tell me a little bit about that. So what kind of farmland is there in Dumfries? Look, it's, it's really changed a lot. And interestingly enough, a lot of that change has probably occurred after foot and mouth disease. So there used to be a lot of dairy, a lot of sheep, a lot of, um, a lot of beef. It was, was the really strong dominant farming method. Take me back to 2001. What was it like then? 2001, we had in February foot and mouth disease outbreak and like it started basically from uh, they believe it was from a pig farm and um, it spread to animals that were going to a sales yard but what happened is the animals that were infected were in that sales yard so if you think of it like a, a spider's web all of a sudden all of those uh, uh, animals that were infected got infected within that sales yard and then went off to different parts of the country and spread it like a like an avalanche around the country. And so Dumfries was really particularly heavily hit and one of the worst in the, in the UK and, and definitely the worst in, in Scotland. Mm. Andrew was a teenager when foot and mouth disease broke out in Dumfries in 2001. And he says the outbreak completely transformed the town. Basically with foot and mouth disease, and this would be the same in Australia, um, the, the process is that if you find a foot and mouth infected animal, it shuts down trade completely. So you can't move animals around the country. If they find it on a farm, and then what they do is they would take a sort of a circumference around that farm, and then they would cull all the animals in all of the farms around it. Countryside in Scotland is really quite populated. So all of a sudden you've got a lot of farms that are in those circumferences. And looking back on it, you know, I was 16, I think. Mm. And, and you look back on that time and they cull those animals, they have to then obviously dispose of those animals, mm -hmm. which is either put them into a big pit or and burn them. And so the scale of it in our area was so huge, most farms got affected, if not mm -hmm. all of them, because you had one circle and then you had another circle and they're just overlapping, which meant that you had these piles and piles of carcasses in fields, which were then burnt, which meant wow. that, you know, if you think of when you have a barbecue, yeah, in, in your, in your balcony or wherever it is you're doing it even just cooking a couple of burgers it smells quite a lot mm -hmm. but if you think about it over hundreds of thousands of of animals and it wasn't just Dumfries it was um, 
Cumbria and everywhere else, Wales, all across the country, that is going to spread around as a, as a scent, and it takes a long time to burn a carcass. So our town smelt of barbecue and rotten flesh for weeks, it felt like. Mm. I'm just trying to picture what it would have been like living in the town at that time. For so long, mm. we weren't allowed to go on other people's farms uh, because you, you don't want to spread it. It's extremely easy to spread food and mouth disease. Mm. Culling all these hundreds of thousands of animals takes a lot of people. And so a lot of people had to come into the area to actually do that culling. And it's not that easy to find enough people that are capable of culling millions upon millions across the UK of animals. So a lot of soldiers were brought in to do it. And that was a, that was a big challenge for because it is a very big health and safety risk. You know, there was um, a lot of troops, the soldiers, uh, enforcing sort of lockdowns, enforcing that uh, basically cars were washed properly. So when you went onto a farm, you had to you know, disinfect, pressure wash the car, wash your feet, all that kind of stuff. Andrew says it took about five months for all of the infected animals to be killed. The town then began to recover, but the local economy was hit hard by the outbreak, including not just the farming industry, but also the tourism industry. It's about three billion pounds it cost the economy, uh, just the loss of animals. But the loss to tourism was about three billion as well. The outbreak also had a huge impact on the town's farmers who had to slaughter their own animals. Many of them ended up losing their livelihoods too. I think, you know, there was obviously a despondent mood around the whole town. You know, one of the things that farmers lose is not just, it's not just a case of being able to replace the animal because a lot of these animals are built over 100 years of genetic um, lineages. So you breed animals together to get the best animal. So when you sort of, cull those animals, you lose a lot of your family history as well. And so that was that was a big sort of thing that drove a lot of people. Not just, there was definitely, in my view, there was definitely suicides that were contributed to it and a lot of depression. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's also a lot of people who decided that farming was no longer for them. I mean, over 20 years, you'd expect many towns to change, but it sounds like this particular outbreak really had a significant impact on the makeup of the town. Ab absolutely. Like you, you, you don't lose all of your animals and um, lose a lot of that sort of infrastructure uh, and then not have a change. So so we did see that sort of wholesale change in the way things are going. More crops, which was unusual even 20 years ago. Um, a lot of forestry, uh, a lot of um, wind farms mm. and, and a lot of uh, even solar farms, which is... Uh, but what we're seeing now is a big move to tourism. So you can make a lot more money putting some holiday cottages down mm. and uh, and renting them out to tourists. Uh, so mm. big changes. And I think some of that was instigated by, well, people losing their, their herds back in 2001. So people looked at, well, what else can we do? So Gabby, how prevalent are foot and mouth disease outbreaks internationally? So it, it flares up around the world. Uh, producers in Australia would have noticed the outbreak in 2001 in the United Kingdom where there was a very bad outbreak of foot and mouth disease came in via pigs spread to sheep and during that time I think the UK lost about 10% of its, its livestock herds. 
But in our part of the world, we had a close call in the 1980s, but we really haven't seen it for 150 years. So Australia Mm. as an island continent is lucky in that sense that we have these very obvious borders, um, but, you know, it's always a threat when it comes to our nearby borders. And, of course, now it's an ever-present threat given what's happening in Indonesia with the most recent outbreak of foot and mouth disease. What impact could an outbreak have this time around if it does reach Australia? If it reaches Australia, it could have a very severe impact. Uh, the estimates are $80 billion. It, it will it will stop the export industry for a couple of years. Um, it has to be dealt with by destroying the infected animals and, and there are, you know, federal government plans uh, that really have to shut down a property, quarantine the property, uh, destroy the animals affected um, and have a buffer zone in between that property and other properties to stop it spreading. But of course, livestock, you know, they're so good at finding other livestock. So um, it's a real threat. And once you, once it's in the populations of livestock, there's a real danger that it can spread quite easily just by animals running away or getting through a fence or getting across a road. And of course, there's tens and thousands mm. of livestock moved every day in the business of um, sheep and cattle and other meat industries. They're moving in between farms, they're moving to sale yards, they're moving um, into abattoirs, uh, into the meat chain, onto your supermarket shelves. And so you can see how quickly this would affect basically the capacity of farmers to sell their produce, but also at a national level, the capacity for Australia to sell its produce overseas, you know, Countries are understandably very jumpy about importing foot and mouth disease. So, you know, basically shut down livestock export industries pretty quickly if there was a widespread outbreak. The economic impact would likely be far bigger in Australia than it is in the UK. In the UK's instance, well, you can probably domestically consume most of those animals because you don't, you're not that phased with the export market because such a huge domestic market. Australia is completely the opposite, where we are reliant on an export market to ensure that farmers actually get paid money. I think Australia, though, does have some advantage. One, our farms are so huge. Like, some farms in Australia are bigger than my entire region of Scotland. And so the transfer of animals between properties is probably lower. Sure. Um, in, in Scotland, you'll have an animal on one farm and an animal on another farm, and they'll touch noses at the fence. So it sounds like we have a lot to lose if foot and mouth disease arrives in Australia. What have we done to prevent an outbreak so far? Well, Australia, it has to be said, Australia's been really good at keeping it out thus far, right? So we've done this, we've done a great job. Uh, The federal government is responsible for our border security and that includes biosecurity, but the state governments govern, you know, agriculture. And so it's a bit like with COVID, you know, federal government was worried about people coming in, crossing the border, bringing COVID in, but state governments were determining how that COVID was treated once it came in. So we're seeing a two-pronged approach um, that is, 
you know, what happens at borders when travellers are coming in and bringing in their luggage with, with potential infected products, with potential infected clothes and footwear. Got it. So, I mean, what is the federal government doing currently in the wake of this most recent outbreak in Indonesia on top of the measures it's already taking at the border to try to prevent an outbreak in Australia? So the federal government has, uh, Murray Watt, the agriculture minister, has visited Indonesia uh, recently and they've increased biosecurity detector dogs in northern airports. They're increasing their advertising. There is some conjecture and debate over the possibility of foot baths, which would mean every time you come into the country you would walk through a foot bath to make sure your shoes are disinfected, although there are issues with that because a lot of people, for example, coming in to, from Bali will be wearing thongs and mm. won't want to be walking through foot baths, you know, on their bare skin. So there is conjecture about how effective those foot baths are. Uh, and recently when Anthony Albanese went to Indonesia, uh, they committed to more Australian support nipping it in the bud in Indonesia through things like vaccines and technical know-how to help them manage the outbreak. And what about the states? What are the main things they're doing to contain any potential foot and mouth disease outbreak if it gets past border control? For the states, one of the things that livestock producers have to do now anyway is that every animal has to have a property ID tag on them. So the way, for example, sheep are managed, sheep and cattle are managed is they get an an ear tag at birth and they use that to manage that animal as it lives on through its years. It keeps them identified as part of a particular mob for a farmer. They know how old it is. Uh, they might, you know, have other, other things, identifications attached to that. What's happened in the cattle industry is the cattle industry have gone to electronic ear tags in 2014. And what they mean is that instead of just having a visual ear tag, which is you can think of like an earring with a number in it, mm-hmm. um, a bit like the, the chip that you put in your dog, you know, when you register your dog, cattle now have that electronic ear tag so that we can swipe them with a wand and it'll tell you everything about that animal and where it's been and what property it's been on. Mm-hmm. Now, only Victorian Uh, has introduced electronic ear tags for sheep. So that means that the cattle industry is much more prepared to track down a diseased animal than the sheep industry is. And why would it be important to make sure we can track sheep properly if there's an outbreak? The thing about foot and mouth disease is that in the UK we saw it spread from pigs to sheep and onwards from there into cattle. So this is a disease that spreads between species uh, very easily. And so if you have a particularly um, vulnerable uh, livestock mob, uh, it can quickly spread outwards. And the thing about sheep is that they don't show it as obviously as cattle. And so it can potentially be in a mob for longer 
without it being detected, which means it can spread further. And, of course, we also have feral pig populations and goat populations, so the possibility of crossing over into other animals, other cloven-hooved animals, is a factor. So it sounds like sheep are the missing link, if you like, in our response to foot-and-mouth disease outbreaks here. Why haven't sheep farmers moved to an electronic tagging system like cattle farmers are already doing? Part of the resistance to this has been from um, some of the state advocacy groups who uh, are worried that, you know, they that about the cost of electronic tagging. It costs around about $1.30 a tag for sheep and it, and mm. it requires some um, setup in terms of getting your systems up to speed because you're swiping animals electronically when they come through a sheep yard. I mean, a dollar to a dollar fifty a tag when you consider you've got hundreds, maybe thousands of sheep in a flock is probably quite expensive, I imagine, for farmers to implement. Given that sheep already have visual tags, I wonder what the added benefit is of having these electronic tags. Like what kind of extra protection does that provide? The underlying point about electronic um, tagging is it, it has a much higher accuracy. Uh, numbers from Sheep Producers Australia say, you know, you can track down an animal with 98% accuracy in one to three days, you know, compared to about 70% for visual tagging. Uh, and it takes some weeks to track down an animal with visual tagging. So ex again, exactly like the COVID thing, if you've got a QR code, someone's phone in their pocket, you'd know where they are all the time. Um, so, so there is that push on, I think, for electronic tagging and uh, we've just done a story in which Murray Watt, the agriculture minister, is really supporting, you know, the idea of electronic tagging nationally, noting, of course, that this is not a federally imposed system. It has to come from the states. So it requires that state coordination. Next, how Australian travellers can help prevent a major disease outbreak at home. So we've talked a lot about how Australia can contain and prevent foot and mouth disease. But of course, in Indonesia, an outbreak is already underway. How is the Indonesian government managing that outbreak? So they are trying to vaccinate all their animals there um, and they're importing doses from countries that are supporting them to do that, including Australia, New Zealand and France. Um, and they are prioritising healthy animals to make sure that they're protected. Um, and we really don't have the numbers on how many vaccines are, are administered so far. should be said that we don't vaccinate here because it's a live vaccine. So by importing vaccines, you would be importing the disease here. So right. it's one of those funny situations where you don't want to introduce something um, before that you, before it actually arrived. happens, uh, so it's a it's a really tricky juggle as to how to manage it, and that's what makes it so um, challenging, I think, for Australian authorities. Hmm. So we've got thousands of Australian tourists currently spending their winter holidays in Bali, where we know the outbreak is well and truly arrived. Is an outbreak of foot and mouth disease in Australia inevitable? 
It sounds inevitable, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> I don't want to overplay it, but it doesn't sound good. No. And and I think the thing is all of these diseases, not just this disease, you know, there's a thing called lumpy skin disease in cattle. There's there's lots of diseases in animals uh, that we're constantly trying to keep out of this kind of island continent. Um, so even before the outbreak in Indonesia, a group of experts led by Australia's chief vet, Dr Mark Shipp, found last year that the risk of a major animal disease outbreak in Australia is increasing, with an estimated 42% probability the country will experience one in the next five years. So I would say it's inevitable that we will pick something up on the border, whether it gets through into the national livestock herd Um, hopefully, fingers crossed, it won't happen. Absolutely. Uh, When I spoke to market analyst Andrew Whitelaw, he said that it was really important not to overstate the risk that an outbreak could happen in Australia. So so interestingly, it's still extremely low. I think last year when they did that research, uh, it was 9.6% around about that level for uh, foot and mouth disease affecting Australia specifically right. foot and mouth disease, in the next five years. Now that it's in Indonesia, it's increased to about 11.6. So that's still a pretty small chance. And I think that's why we've got to be uh, not get too panicky. Because the risk is, is relatively low. We are extremely secure in terms of biosecurity, but we have to be prepared for if it does occur. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about what various levels of government are doing and what Australian farmers can do now to try to prevent an outbreak from spreading or or at least containing it. What should Australian travellers in Indonesia right now be doing to help this effort? Particularly for those going to Indonesia, I think it's really important not to go near any, any livestock at all. No matter what you see, don't go near it. And, and just really being honest about what you're carrying. You know, sometimes travellers can go, oh, well, it's just, a, it's just a, you know, a drum, but it might have a skin, an animal skin over that drum. Just be honest about declaring everything that you're bringing in with your luggage so that customs staff can appropriately advise whether or not it could be a platform for bringing this disease in because it's so important. Uh, The bottom line is if you look at it from an animal welfare perspective, if you look at it from a food security perspective, if you look at it from a human society perspective, like there are so many reasons why we want to keep this out. Like I just cannot underline enough, uh, both as as someone that's watching this um, coming closer and closer to Australia as uh, someone involved in sheep production, but also someone who writes about rural communities daily, it's really imperative that everyone does their bit to keep this out because it is a terrible, terrible disease that has the potential to affect a lot of animals and increase their suffering by a lot. That was Gabrielle Chan, the Rural and Regional Editor of Guardian Australia. You can read more of the Rural Network's reporting at theguardian.com, including a recent article by our colleague Jordan Beasley called Foot and Mouth Disease, Australian Government Backs Electronic Tagging for Sheep. We'll post a link to that on the Full Story website. 
This episode was produced by Alison Chan, Karishma Luthria and Miles Herbert. Sound design and mixing by Camilla Hannon. The executive producers of Full Story are Miles Martignoni, Gabrielle Jackson and Molly Glassy. I'm Jane Lee. Catch you next time. 